Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Standing Strong in Trying Times, a study of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel gives stories of faithful believers standing strong in trying times of exile and visions of the ultimate victory of God's kingdom over the kingdoms of this world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. We're going to dive into God's word now in Daniel chapter 1. We're continuing our study in the book of Daniel, which we are calling Standing Strong in Trying Times. We're, we're going to be going over the entire book of Daniel. It's going to take much of the rest of uh, 2012, last, I mean 2021. Uh, we started last week looking at just the first two verses. And as I said, we'll be moving much more quickly than that typically. Uh, so we're going to cover all of chapter one today. In fact, most weeks we'll be covering a chapter uh, at a time. That's just kind of the way the book of Daniel breaks down. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter one. I'm going to read all of chapter one to us. We did not include it in the written guide this week just because it's such a long text. But we'll be uh, looking along. You can follow on the screen up here. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. So Daniel chapter 1, hear the words of your sovereign creator and redeemer. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. 
And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Um, Linda and I both earlier this year read, we had seen the, the miniseries several times, but we, we both read the book Roots. Most of us know, of course, Annapolis is very famous because we have the Alex Haley statue right down at the docks. We know Kunta Kinte, the main character in the story of Roots, actually arrived in America here in Annapolis. And the story of Roots is a very hard, difficult to read story because of how human beings, you wonder how one human being could treat another human being this way. But it's an amazing story of Kunta Kinte and his descendants. And I remember being struck by the fact that all these years later, they had somehow maintained their identity. They knew that they had uh, a relative named Kunta Kinte, and in the, in the updated version that Linda and I both read, uh, Alex Haley describes how he discovered all this stuff, because he actually went back to Africa and discovered in villages there were storytellers whose entire job is to keep up with the history of the tribe, and they all knew that a young man named Kunta Kinte had been kidnapped and taken off uh, across the sea. They all knew that, and he'd been able to track this down. And a key issue in that story and how he was going to maintain his identity was whether he was going to remember that his name was Kunta Kinte or he was going to accept that his name was Toby. If you've ever seen the, the miniseries or read the books, you know it's a, it's a poignant, difficult scene when they're trying to force him to accept his name Toby. But Kunta said, no, I am Kunta Kinte. That is who I am. Because it was more than just a name. It was more than phonetic sounds that come off the tongue. He was saying, this is my identity. And everybody around him was telling him, why don't you, who cares? Just give in. But he was saying, no, I'm not giving in. And he, in fact, taught some of the other words and ideas to his kids, and they were passed down from generation to generation. Now, I bring this story up because I thought about it this week when we're looking at Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. They're young teenagers, not far off in age of young Kunta. They're carried off away from their homeland. They're probably never going back. How does one keep your identity? And in fact, in this story, they're renamed. They're given other names, which have nothing to do with who they are or where they've come from. How do you maintain your identity in the land of exile? That's the question that Daniel 1 is addressing for us today. So we're going to dig into this text and see how God would speak to us. Now, the, the issue here in Daniel 1 is the issue of identity. Babylon wants to change their core identity, and we see this in three different ways that they are trying to do this with the young Hebrews. Number one, they're giving them a pagan education for three years, the goal of which is to make them Babylonian. 
the goal of which is to give them a worldview, a way of approaching, thinking, seeing the world that is thoroughly Babylonian. Now, at the beginning of verse 4, and I'm not putting this up on the screen, but notice, they've picked the cream of the crop. These are good-looking young men. These are bright young men. These are men who've got aptitude and skill, and they're saying we're going to take them, and we're going to take all that's good, but we're going to shape it. We're going to form it, and we're going to make it Babylonian. And so we read in verse 4 and 5, he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. So notice here, they're being taught the language of the Babylonians. Now, on one level, this is Aramaic, which was the uh, language that the Chaldeans, who were the ruling group in Babylon, spoke. Uh, and, but they also had to learn Akkadian, which was the older form of the language, and probably Sumerian, none of which are easy to learn how to write down because they had all of these unusual symbols and ways of writing. But Daniel and his compatriots were going to have to learn the language. And if you've ever tried to study a language, you realize language is attached to the conception, the way that a culture thinks. Languages are different, and they are always attached to how a culture views the world. And so they're going to immerse them in this language. But secondly, notice they have to learn the literature. They're going to study all the texts, the rules uh, that they have. They're going to be studying their religious texts. They're going to study rules regarding how to interpret dreams, read omens. We have to be really clear. This is uncomfortable for us. This is a thoroughly pagan education make no bones about it this is not they're not being taught what good little jewish boys had been taught back in judah they are being immersed all day every day in a thoroughly pagan education and again the goal in this is to make them babylonian in their worldview and in their identity secondly they're going to be given royal food. Uh, in one place, it's called choice food or, or delicacies. But this is being done to earn their loyalty. Notice we're told in verse 5, the king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They're to be trained for three years, and then after that, they'll enter the king's service. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, if you ask him why, he says, well, I'm taking care of them. These are going to become my counselors. These are going to become advisors. They're going to work in the government. I want to make sure they got the best. So I'm giving them food from my own table because I, Nebuchadnezzar, am a good guy. That's what Nebuchadnezzar is saying he's doing. But notice here that there's something else going on because it's a reminder to them every day, you're dependent on me. The very food you eat comes from my table. It comes from my hand. And by the way, you're eating better than almost anybody else in the kingdom. I'm getting you accustomed to a certain way of life, a certain standard of living, and you're always going to remember, I giveth and I can take away. So you better be loyal to me because everything you have comes from me. Thirdly, they're going to actually give them new names or a new identity. We're told that these young, four young men from Judah were named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we have to remember, back in the ancient world, and in many cultures around the world, 
names were not something that parents just picked out. We, we just pick names today very often because we like the sound of it. Uh, Linda and I were a little bit countercultural because when we named our four kids, we actually picked the names based on what they meant. So I knew what the name Daniel meant because our oldest son, Timothy Daniel, uh, meant honoring God who is my judge. And uh, Jeremy David and Jonathan Matthew were, were our next two sons, and Jeremy uh, David means uh, anointed and loved by Jehovah, and Jonathan Matthew, both Jonathan and Matthew mean gift of the Lord, so he's twice a gift of the Lord, and Stephanie Renee means crowned and born again, crowned with new life. We picked those names. I still remember them after these years because we said we want this to be their identity. And from day one, I was praying that that would be their identity. And so these four young Hebrew lads have learned their names. Daniel, again, means God is my judge. And every time young Daniel hears that, he remembers, because these are very common, Dan is the word for judge, and L is the word for God, and E is the word for my. These are not hard, it's not some obscure thing. Like, you may not know what the roots of your name is. But for them, these were everyday words, okay? Daniel, God is my judge. Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious. Uh, Mishael, who is like God? And Azariah, Yahweh has helped. These four young men have been given these names. Every day they hear this and they know what these names mean. They're all very common. And they know this is what they hear. Well, now they're going to be given pagan Babylonian names, names that don't make any sense to them. Now, what's interesting is the names that we're told appear to be corrupted. They're not good Aramaic or Akkadian Babylonian names. They all appear to be related to the gods of Babylon, but it appears that the narrator in telling the story is kind of purposely corrupting them because he doesn't want to give honor to the Babylonian gods. But they're being given names that apparently are built on the Babylonian gods because they're saying, look, your identity is no longer Yahweh. Your identity is our gods because after all, our God beat your God. That's why you're here. And so your identity, and when you hear your name called and it's going to be repeated day after day after day, you're going to be reminded your new identity is the identity that we have given you. It would be reinforced every single day. Now, what's interesting is, in public, they're forced to use these names. And we're going to see most, even Christians today, are much more familiar. If I go up and ask the average Christian, what's the name of the three young Hebrew children that go into the fiery furnace? They say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are actually their pagan names. But that's because in Daniel chapter 3, that's the names that are used when we read that story. But it appears, as we're going to see here in chapter 1, they keep their Hebrew names, and it appears in private, they always remembered. I might have to answer when the master calls Toby, but my name is Kunta. They may say, I may have to remember and answer when the master calls me Belteshazzar, but I remember my name is Daniel. And I remember God, Yahweh, is my judge. I remember that it is not Shadrach, it is Hananiah. Yahweh is gracious. This is what the, the struggle that's going on for them. So all of this, make no mistake, is an attempt to get Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to forget who they are. 
and to allow their identity to become Babylonian rather than a follower of Yahweh, a follower of the God of Israel, a follower and part of God's people. So the question is, how will they respond? Now we're told very early on in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 that Daniel is going to resist losing his identity. And he picks the issue of food. He resolves not to eat the royal delicacies, the royal choice food. So we read in verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, this has puzzled scholars for a long time, and for good reason. I'm going to be honest. When I read this, I still scratch my head. Having been reading this over and over and over again all year, I'm like, really, Daniel? Because I would be like objecting to the education, you know, like Regan Pagan's pagan text, learning how to, you know, cut open chickens and read their livers for omens. That seems to be much more objectionable to me than eating some food and drinking some wine. So the question is, why? Why are they drawing the line here? Now, some have tried to say, well, they're trying to keep kosher. They're trying to keep the Levitical law. The problem is, is the Levitical law is not only okay with wine, it actually commanded wine to be used at times. So there's nothing about, and many of the meats that are there are perfectly fine. There's nothing specifically about the food that follows the kosher laws. Some people have tried to maintain it's probably because of idol sacrifices. Actually, years ago, that was kind of my opinion. But the more I study it, here's the problem. They not only gave the meat to their gods, all the vegetables, all the grain, everything was given over to the gods. There's no food in Babylon that's not given over to the gods. There's none. There's no way to try and do that. So why are they doing it? I think what Daniel and his companions are doing here is they're trying to make sure we're not going to be seduced. The the king is trying to give us this choice stuff, this best stuff. We're getting treated better than everybody else. We're not taking that because if we do that, we're in danger of having you seduce us, us becoming used to a particular way of living and doing things. And we're going to remind ourselves every day by the fact that we're eating less than what we could be eating, that God is our supply. It's not Nebuchadnezzar. God is the one who provides for me. And I'm going to give God a chance to show himself uh, faithful to us. There's going to be a a test coming up. Now, what's interesting is later on, we read that Daniel fasts from these very same foods, which means he apparently later on said, okay, the test has been passed. I'm willing to eat them now. But at this point, for whatever reason, Daniel's drawing a line and saying, if I give in on this point, My identity is going to be compromised, and I will not do that. I'm going to maintain who I am in the exile. Now, what's interesting is, notice how Daniel responds, because this is key if we're going to keep our identity. He responds and acts with godly wisdom and humility. Godly wisdom and humility. Notice first off in verse 8, Daniel asks, he doesn't demand, he asks the chief official, can we not have this food? We're told in verse 8, he asked the chief official for permission not to devour himself this way. In his heart, Daniel's resolved. 
before God, he set his mind, he's going to do it. But when he makes his approach to the official, he does it in a humble manner. Now, if you're honest, if you're like me, this is hard. See, I don't. I go up and tell him, you can't make me do it. And that's not how God wants us to respond. I mean, I get it, because that, that, I'm, I'm true confession here. Okay, you want to start drawing lines? You want to start having a battle of the wills? I'll show you who will win the battle of the wills. And it'd be a very short book. That'd be the end of their lives. Daniel does not do that. Because see, as exiles, we have to always display godly humility and wisdom and when interacting with the authorities in our land of exile. This is part of why Paul tells us you've got to submit to the governing authorities. And if you read throughout, even in the New Testament, it's amazing to me how much wisdom and patience and humility like Paul uses. When the high priest is having Paul slapped on the mouth and Paul speaks back to him and they say, you dare speak to God's high priest that way? And Paul says, I'm, I am sorry. I didn't realize it was the high priest. God says, don't speak evil of the rule of your people. Really? This is the guy who had Jesus crucified. Really? See, I want to stand up and say, this stuck-up pig, God's going to destroy you one day. Not the way we're called to act. And the second we do, it's a sure sign we don't realize we are exiles. That's why we spent the whole time last week on two verses. Everything revolves around understanding you're in exile. Exiles act different than everyone else because they realize who they are. So Daniel does this. Notice the official then denies the request. Verses 9 and 10, we're told, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. We'll come back to that. But the official says, look, I know Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> if I do what you're saying, you're not going to look good. He's going to see, and you're not going to be in trouble. I'm going to be in trouble. And I like it, Daniel, but I also like my head being firmly attached to my shoulders. I'm kind of partial to that. I am not messing around with Nebuchadnezzar. No way, no how, we are not going to do this. Now, notice here, and this is why we're told the official showing favor, Daniel doesn't stand up and say, well, you're persecuting me. No, not what he says. He realizes the official actually likes him. The official's not trying to be mean. The official's just saying, look, you're, you're asking me to do something that puts me in a very difficult spot. I can't grant your request. Uh, it's not going to work. But Daniel's saying, but you know what? I still know somehow that the, the official is favorably disposed towards me. And this is, please, this is so hard when I read these because what I want to read is Daniel goes out, he protests, he marches around the palace seven times, the walls fall in. He doesn't do any of that. There's no record of Daniel doing that, doing a hunger strike, starting a riot. He doesn't do that because he's in exile. And exiles realize none of that's appropriate. None of that is going to further the cause of the kingdom now that we are exiles and they don't show godly wisdom and humility so what does daniel do daniel says okay well the door is closed to the chief official but he's not the guy that works with me every day he's not the guy that brings the food in there's another guy who brings the food in 
So I go to that guy. He goes to the guard in verses 11 to 13. And he says, look, I got an idea. How about if you do a test? For 10 days, you give everybody else all that great food, man. They are going to be eating the burgers and, and drinking the wine and having all the good food. All we want is vegetables and water. And we are confident that if you do this, 10 days from now, the Lord's going to have intervened and you're going to see we're in better shape than they are. Now, this is a test of faith, because let me be clear, we're going to come back to this in a minute. Is there any possibility that any diet is going to change you that much in 10 days? No. If you think there is, you're kidding yourself. There's no chance it was going to do anything. There, this is a test. Yahweh has to intervene or they're going to fail the test but they're trusting that God wants them to maintain their identity. God wants to be with them. So he goes there, and again, notice he's very respectful. Please give a test to your servants. Check this out. Watch and see what will happen. You do the test. He's being wise. He's being humble, and he's showing faith in God. And the result of this is the guard agrees. In verse 14, he agreed to this, and he tested them for 10 days. So notice, we've got there trying to change Daniel's identity. But Daniel, at every turn, is showing godly character, wisdom, and humility that's critical if you're going to live faithfully in exile. If you're going to stand strong in exile, you've got to walk in humility. You've got to walk with godly wisdom, or else your story is going to be short. And Daniel is showing this. Now, here's the key thing in the chapter, however. The key thing is not Daniel and what Daniel does, but God and what God does. Because in this chapter, we see the sovereignty of God for his exiled people. First off, notice immediately in verse 15 and 16, we read that God intervenes and they pass the test of food. So at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Again, this is not a recommendation for the Daniel diet, okay? You can find a lot of that stuff in Christian bookstores. This is not a recommendation for any of that. This is not about God wants you to be a vegetarian. Daniel doesn't keep eating the diet if you read through the book. It's a statement that the only way to explain this is God has intervened. God has shown himself faithful. God has worked so that they pass the test and they are able to maintain their identity via this thing with the food. And we're going to see they maintain it in every other area. You got to understand this is the first step on the way. You don't start at the furnace of fire. You don't start at the lion's and You start here. And they're trusting God, and God intervenes. But it's a lot bigger than that. Throughout this chapter, we see at three key points where we're told where God intervened. Now, this is a little more difficult to see in English because you notice up here I've got three words highlighted, delivered, caused, and gave. They're all the same verb in Hebrew. It's the Hebrew verb natan, from which we get our name Nathan. Nathan means to be given. Nathaniel means, you know, given by my God, is what Nathaniel would mean. So Natan is the word, and it means to give or to deliver or to permit something to happen. But it means that, in this case, because God is the one doing the Natan, God is the active cause. 
of what's going on. So we see in verse 2 that God is working sovereignly in this story by delivering Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. We talked about this a lot last week. The exile is not happening because Nebuchadnezzar is so strong, because Nebuchadnezzar is so wise. The exile is happening because the sovereign God has decided this is what he is going to do. He raises Nebuchadnezzar up. And one of the prophets says, they're just a stick in my hand. I could have picked any stick I wanted. I picked a stick named Nebuchadnezzar. And God is the actor. But notice down in verse 9, we're told that God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy. This is an interesting Hebrew sentence here because God's the one that is giving favor over to this official. And the word favor is actually, for those who've been around for a while, the word chesed. That word for divine, uh, we, we usually see it where it's God's steadfast mercy and love. That psalm that says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love, his chesed endures forever. When we say in Psalm 23 that his mercy will pursue me forever, that's chesed. That's what God gives this official for Daniel. Even though he can't agree with the request, this guy is favorably disposed. He has covenant mercy and faithfulness towards Daniel. A pagan guy. Because God is at work giving it to him. And then notice in verse 17, we read, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding in all kinds of literature and learning. So what's crazy is God's giving them success in all their studies. They know the pagan stuff they don't believe better than all the pagans who do believe it know it. They know their stuff. I remember actually one of my sons uh, was a philosophy major and uh, so he took a lot of Hebrew studies and he would call me because his professor would be saying stuff about what the Hebrews said or whatever and he would, Dad, Dad, what, what does this Hebrew word mean, you know? And I remember he said on one of his tests, he answered all the stuff they had taught him, none of which he believed. He said, I, I, I did this so that you know I learned the material. I don't believe any of this. And you didn't convince me of any of this. But I learned it. I've now regurgitated it towards you and I still believe exactly what I believed before because none of your stuff makes sense. That's exactly what Daniel and them are doing. We don't believe this, but God has given them the knowledge, so that it is even better than all of the others. Now, humans are clearly active in taking responsibility. Nebuchadnezzar is marching throughout this part of the world and defeating Assyria and defeating Egypt and bringing Judah and all the other nations. But God is the one who is at work deciding what's going to happen. The official is trying to work with all these young people, but God is determining that Daniel will have favor. Daniel uh, and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael are up burning the midnight oil. They are studying. They are laboring hard. They are putting in hours, but they realize God is the one who grants them success. Human action and working are never juxtaposed against the sovereignty of God. We act with everything we've got, realizing that if there's going to be success here, only God can grant that. And that's exactly what Daniel and them see. And so Daniel and his companions, we're going to see throughout this story, they act faithfully, but only because God himself has first 
acted, and their character and their resolve are sustained by God's sovereign faithfulness throughout their lives. Day by day by day. The story begins, God did this. And it's going to end with Daniel looking forward to what God's going to do in the future. And at every step throughout, they're sustained by the faithfulness of God. But then notice we see God's activity because we're told the result of all of this is the four flourish in exile. Be honest. If you're here as a parent, we were talking about this at Connect Group the other night. Man, you want to talk about me being completely frantic. What if my four teenage kids had been taken off into exile like this and I was told they're going to be completely immersed in Babylonian thing and they're going to try and destroy their Christian identity and all of this is going to happen. I couldn't have slept at night. And yet what we find is not only do Dana, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael survive, they thrive. They don't lose their identity. Their identity conquers Babylon. Notice what happens here. First off, we see Nebuchadnezzar recognizes God's favor on them. In verses 18 to 20, it's the end of the time. The king brings them in. He talks with them, and we're told that uh, he didn't find anyone who was equal to these four. And in fact, we're told he found them ten times better. Now that's kind of a proverbial way of saying they were so heads and shoulders above everybody else, there was not even a comparison. These guys were the goat. They were the greatest of all time. Nobody matches up to these four. They had applied themselves and God sovereignly blessed them. And they knew the Babylonian beliefs and practices better than the Babylonians did. Even though they didn't believe them and even though they had maintained their own identity, and they knew where real wisdom and truth came from. It comes from God. Remember all this because next chapter, we're going to go into chapter 2. You remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We've all heard the story. And how many of the Babylonian guys can interpret it? None. Because Daniel has to tell him, look, all that stuff you taught me does no good at all. None of them are going to be able I couldn't do it based on that. But see, I've kept my identity. I know who I am. And there's a sovereign God, the one I'm named after. He can reveal this. So that's the first step. But not only that, did you notice at the end of the chapter, there's this little verse, but it's so important because this is the introduction to the whole book. In verse 21, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Why is this brought up? Because friends, that's the exile. The exile started when Babylon carried, when Nebuchadnezzar carried them off, and it's going to end when Cyrus comes up and Cyrus makes a decree that you all are allowed to go home. The narrator is telling us that Daniel's career lasted throughout the exile. He not only survived, he thrived, and he outlasted the exile. The exile came and went, and Daniel still was at work doing what Daniel was doing. But not only that, the exile came because Babylon said, we rule. That verse tells me Babylon rose, Babylon reigned, Babylon fell, and Daniel's still standing there. Through it all, Daniel is there and blessed and serving God 
and serving others. And this is one of the key themes of the entire book. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, but God's kingdom lasts forever. And so do God's faithful servants. They last forever because that is Yahweh's work. This is the sovereign blessing of God in the midst of exile. Those who know and trust the sovereign God can survive and thrive even in exile, and they will last beyond the exile. You remember some of the old like Roadrunner cartoons or whatever where Wiley County do things, and, and you know, like the Roadrunner gets cut off and he's standing on a cliff and then somehow the whole thing falls away and he's still standing there? which makes no sense, right, except for he's the hero of the story. Well, friends, it does make sense when you're looking at the kingdom of God. The world will shake, kingdoms will rattle and fall, and those who know their God will stand forever and ever and ever because he is sovereign and he rules over all. So how do we apply this? The first thing is about maintaining our identity in our land of exile. See, like these 14, you and I have to maintain our identity because who in here is an exile? If you're a believer, you're an exile. Always have been, always will be. The only way to not be an exile is to not be part of God's people. So we have to learn to live as exiles like these four teens did. Now, this has been a struggle for Christians because See, to, to be in exile, to be in the world but not of it, which we'll come to in just a minute, there's, there's a tension here. And so what some Christians have done is simply remove themselves from the world. And they'll say, I'm going to maintain my identity by having nothing to do with Babylon. And that's one way, and you can maintain your identity. You can't accomplish the mission God has given you, but you can maintain your identity. Other Christians say, well, you know what? I'm going to capitulate, I'm going to lose my identity and get along with the world, and you can do that, but then you are not faithfully serving God. You are not standing strong. In fact, to do that, you have lost everything, and you cannot reach the land of your exile. See, it's a tension. If we're going to be of any use for God's kingdom here in our land of exile, in our day, we have to be different. It does no good if we're just like the culture. That accomplishes nothing. Now see, this is the call that Jesus gives us this. We are in essence called to dual citizenship. We have our citizenship here, but our true citizenship is in heaven. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, as he's praying for us, he puts it this way. I have given them your word and the world loves them. Is that what it says? Here's one of your Jesus promises. The world has hated them. For, here's why, they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. But my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, if I'd have been there and been awake, which I wouldn't have been, but if I'd been there and been awake, I'd say, no, Lord Jesus, how about taking us out of the world? I don't want this. This sounds hard. How are we going to be in it but not of it? But see, that's our very mission. 
You and I are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are not of the world. Our identity is in Christ. We're, but we are not out of the world. We are called to be in the world and even for the world. We're going to see in just a second. Even though the world hates us. Our response to the world is not dictated by the world. It's dictated by God. Again, Daniel doesn't sit and pout and do all kinds of things when he's told no. He just says, okay, God's going to open up another way. I'm going to stand faithful. I'm resolved. But I'm also restrained in my behavior. We know that this is on Daniel's mind, because remember, Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles. So young Daniel gets this letter, and in Jeremiah 29, which contains the letter, in verse 7, we read this. Seek the peace and prosperity. Remember, what's that Hebrew word? Shalom. Seek the shalom, the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it has shalom... You're going to have shalom. So, pray for the city that has carried you into exile. Does anybody think that's easy? Daniel didn't want to go. This was not an easy experience. They're, they're not, even though he's getting the royal food and all this, you are, in essence, a slave. Pray for these people. Love these people. Ask God to give shalom to these people. Because if shalom comes to them, shalom will come to you. So you and I are called to pray and work for shalom here in our city of exile. But we do this just like Daniel and the other three, maintaining our distinct identity, keeping our commitment to the heavenly city primary. I'll do whatever I can to bless Annapolis, the city of my exile. Oh, you're asking me to, to, to compromise my identity? I can't do that. I will work here where my earthly citizenship lies. Oh, you're asking me to make that primary over my heavenly citizenship? Not going to happen. I, I, I can't do that. I, I will humbly work however I can. I will pray. I will labor. We are... We are here. This congregation is called not to just be in the city of Annapolis. When you see that picture of the docks every week and you see the world, remember we are in the world, not of the world. And we are in this city and we are for this city. We want to be a blessing to this place where we have been called. But I will not lose my identity. I will not compromise on God and his word. His kingdom will be primary. So the question for us is, where do I find my identity? And this is raging in our culture right now. You and I are being told, you are going to be told today to find your identity in anything other than Jesus Christ. You're going to be told to find your identity in your nationality. But Jesus whispers to you and says, your true citizenship is in heaven. You're going to be told to find your identity in your ethnicity. And Jesus whispers and says, in me, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is not black. There is not white. There is not Latino. There is not Asian. There is not anything else. You are one in Jesus Christ. That's your identity. 
The culture is going to tell you it's your political affiliation. You're Republican or Democrat or Green Party or whatever other offshoot that might be your selection. But our citizenship is the kingdom of God, and all other kingdoms and all other parties are going to fall. There's not going to be elephant or donkey stickers in heaven. They're not going to make it. Okay? It's a lamb. That's my identity. I'm being serious. We are being seduced. My identity is redeemed by Jesus Christ. That's who I am. We're being told today it's your sexuality. Friends, God has made male and female, but I submit all my desires to him, knowing that my sexual propensities and my desires are not my identity. I am not Brett Hicks, white, heterosexual, male, part of the patriarchy. I am follower of Jesus Christ. That's my identity. That's who I am. And everything else is way, way below that. If you don't understand this, you'll never survive in the land of your exile. You won't make it in the land of the exile. Is it our social class, our education level? You know, you need to be with the people that are kind of like you, the people that you like hanging out around. In Christ, there is no slave or free. Not my words, that's in the New Testament. No slave or free, for we are all free by being his slaves. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Do you understand in the early church, it wasn't the distinctions I'm bringing up. A slave sat next to a master. How do you do that? You do that by redemption. And knowing my identity is in Jesus Christ. For some of us, it's our work or it's our ministry. There are so many pastors who've lost their identity in Jesus Christ. And my identity now is the fact that I'm a pastor. God help you if that's your identity. My identity is in Christ. The stuff that I do, it's my calling. But my identity was not that I was a Marine. It was not that I was a computer programmer. It's not that I'm a pastor. It's man redeemed by Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Friend, to find your identity in anything other than Christ is to utterly fail to understand what it means to be in Christ. Do we see that? Now, how do we form and maintain it? In a moment, we're going to come down and we're going to have a water baptism. And Ronnie, if you want to go ahead and start setting up. But I want to remind all of us as we're getting ready to watch this. I'm given my true identity in Jesus Christ. But I can't let this identity be replaced by false identity. See, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had their identity. It had been given to them as the people of God, but they had to maintain it during the time of exile. I want to encourage you, each and every week when we gather, you know what this is? This is a group of exiles gathering together and reminding each other. Whatever we've been told all week, this is home. We're, we're a colony of heaven right here this is where we've come from this is our identity this is where we are going to this is my story look around this is your people this is your people 
Friends, in this congregation, we are not the same ethnicity. We are not the same education level. We are not all the same socioeconomic class. We don't all have the same background. What we do have is Jesus Christ. And that is more than everything else. And so every week, I urge you, gather with the people of God. Because all week long, when you see them go into this water in a couple of minutes, and they're just covered by it. That's what happens to you and I all week long. You are covered in this, telling you find your identity anywhere and everywhere other than Jesus Christ. And we gather together every week to pop up back out of that water and to be put back into Christ's water and to say, no, my identity is Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I was baptized into Christ. I belong to him. He is my identity. Do we understand that? Do we remember? Parents, I want to urge you we're going we're gonna to be having three kids in just a moment being water baptized. Mike and Melanie are going to come up with uh, three of their kids. And I want to remind you, parents, you better shape this in your children. You better be very careful of how they're being influenced. And, and I don't care what schooling choice you're doing, what other, other thing you're doing, you had better be there shaping and molding them. This was... I've said before, the day I found out Linda was pregnant with my oldest son, Tim, I came home, opened my Bible up, and started reading scripture over him in the womb. Because by God, whatever else is going to happen, I'm going to wash you in the word over and over and over again. Parents, that is your responsibility. Are you doing that? Are you forming? Are you shaping? Are you putting in? It's going to require difficult conversations at times. Sometimes the kids would come home, we'd sit around the lunch, uh, the dinner table, and all of a sudden one of them would say something, and I'd say, oh, somebody's gotten something stuck in your head. We got to work to get this out. I'm tired, don't feel like doing it, doesn't matter. We got to have a conversation now because you're being shaped and formed in a way that's contrary to the Word of God. Are we understanding that? Are we doing it? And I want to encourage every one of you. I listed a whole bunch of areas, but see, it's different. If I were Daniel, I would have probably picked the education system. But there was something in the food that Daniel said, this is a point of vulnerability. I'm drawing a line here. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. What's your point of vulnerability? It may be wildly different than mine, but at that point, do not give in. Don't let that shape you. Don't let that form you. Find out what it is. Every individual, every family. Parents, that's part of what you're doing as a parent is figuring out what your kids' vulnerabilities are and helping them to walk through that. Now, what we're going to be doing now is we're going to have three water baptisms. Mike and Melanie, if y'all want to come forward. Um, and this is very apropos because in water baptism, we are identified with Christ publicly. And Paul's language is we are clothed in Christ. So first off, if you've never been water baptized, here's how you're going to apply the word. See me. Talk to me. I want to talk to you about that because we are all called to go through the waters of baptism. If you have... I want you to improve upon it today. That's, that's a phrase the Puritans used to mean. What I, want to, what I want you to be reminded of, if you've been water baptized, is you know what? That is my identity. 
I remember, when I went into the waters of baptism, I was clothed with Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. I urge you, do that as we join in today. So, we are, what we're going to do is we're going to stand together, and as we get ready for these young people, we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. So let's stand as a congregation. And we're going to go ahead and say, Danny, you can go ahead and put it up. We're going to be saying the Apostles' Creed. I love, a few years ago, there was a song by a, a man named Rich Mullins, and he built it on the creed. It was called the Creed. And he said that these were the very truths of God. He said, I did not, I did not make it. It is making me. Friends, what we're going to quote here is a summary of the Word of God. And I want to invite you, let this be your statement. Let this be your creed. Let this be what shapes you. This is who we are. In a world that believes everything else, oh church, this is what we believe. And in the ancient church, you actually, this was part of a baptismal ceremony, was you did this creed, the, the Greek words pistueo, and you would respond, do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Pistueo, I believe. Do you believe that he's the creator of heaven and earth? Pistueo, I believe. This is who we are. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We are going to go ahead, and I'm going to let Mike and Melanie introduce the kids. We're going to be asking them a brief question or two. Guys, if y'all want to get up. So, so, uh, so this is Samaya. Let's look at your dad here first. Come here, man. So this is Samaya. Um, she is a very loving, humble child, and uh, she is wanting to be water baptized. Are you excited? <laughs> Just a little scared. All right. So we're gonna. She's a. Uh, she's a little afraid of the water, but it's okay. I'm not afraid of the water. I'm not afraid of the water. I'm just. My heart is pounding. I'm yeah. Scared. It's a little nervous when you're up here. So, so I wanna. And for those who are new, and and this may be a surprise, Mike is gonna be baptizing his kids. This is not because this is not a sacrament of the church. I went over and met with Mike and the kids. We've gone through, we've examined to make sure they understand. This is a reminder. If these three are going to have an identity in Jesus Christ, it's going to be Mike and Melanie that are going to be primary in that. And so I'm going to just ask one or two questions. 
Samaya, do you remember why did Jesus die? To forgive us and... Um, uh, what, what did he forgive you of? Our sins? Yes, of our sins. That's right. And Samaya, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that's true? Yes. Amen. Amen. That's what it means for us to be a believer. We're not trusting in our own works. We're trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. So let, we're going to bring each of them up at a time here. Come on up. MJ, you're next. Okay. What do you guys want to say about MJ? <laughs> so uh, this is uh, Michael Jr., MJ. Hold on a second. He's a uh, he's a he's an awesome kid. He just wants to be faithful and do the right thing. So he he brought up wanting to be baptized, and so yes. we got the ball rolling. And then he actually he did was able to get his sisters. He, to he also grabbed me out in the parking so. lot one Sunday. <laughs> said, so. "I want to get baptized." Well, that was clear. So, <laughs> so MJ, do you understand why why did Jesus die? To forgive our sins. And he forgives our sins forever for it. Amen. He forgives our sins forever. Do you believe the things that we were yes. saying about who Jesus is? <laughs> I like that. That's eager. Amen. Can I, can I go first? Well, <laughs> I want to go first. I like being eager to get into the water. Be close to Christ. And then last, we've got Selena. You want to go ahead? And and so this is, uh, this is our youngest. This is Selena. Uh, Selena, after conversing with her brother and having Pastor Bird over, she also wanted to be baptized so she can also uh, be in accordance with the, uh, with the loss. Amen. So, Selena, do you understand? Why, why did Jesus die? To forgive our sins. To forgive our sins. And you understand that you can't, you can't do anything to earn God's forgiveness. It's just what Jesus did, right? Yeah. Amen. And do you believe that Jesus loves you and has forgiven you? Yes. Okay, guys, all three of you, do you all want to follow Jesus? Yes. yes. They very clearly, yes. the day I talked to yes. them, were saying yes. they wanted to obey Jesus, yes. and that's what it meant for them to be a follower. So what we're going to do is they're going to go ahead and we're going to pray for them first. And then we're going to let them get in the water and their dad will water baptize them. So, so Mike and Melanie, and I don't know if, if your folks want to come up and pray as well. Can I, can I drop the mic? No, sir. No, 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 no. All right, you ready? I want to do that. Okay, Melanie, you want to pray for them? Yes. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today just to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for these children, Father God. Thank you for allowing me and Michael to be blessed to have four beautiful children. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father God, for MJ. Thank you, Father God, for Selena. Thank you, Father God, for Samaya. Mm -hmm. And we pray on today that they understand that this is all about you. And this mm -hmm. is a day that they That's never right. forget, Father God. Mm -hmm. We want them to grow up understanding that your will be done. And there mm -hmm. is no one on this planet that could keep them like you can, Father God. Mm -hmm. We pray that when they go to school that your light shine in them. And we pray that they will be in your word forever, Father God. Yes, in Lord. the name of yes, Jesus, Lord. we pray. Yes, Amen. Lord. Amen. 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 Mike, 
I just come before you humbly today, Lord, just saying thank you for the family, the blessing that you have given me. It's, there are no words to describe mm -hmm. how I feel right now, uh, seeing my, my three babies mm -hmm. uh, being yes, water baptized and understanding that this is a new beginning for them mm -hmm. and that they will follow you uh, with you know, sound heart, mm -hmm. clear mind, and that you will order their steps yes, and Lord. lead them to all, everything that life will have to offer them. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate your influence in my life yes, Lord. and leading me to be the man that I needed to be for my children. Yes, Lord. And I'm mm -hmm. so, so appreciative of that, Lord. Yes, Lord. Please yes. take my children into your, your mm -hmm. kingdom. Yes, Lord. Lead them, guide them, keep them focused mm -hmm. and steadfast. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Yes, Amen. Father, I pray for this whole family as uh, they're at this important moment. Lord, as I was praying for them this week, Lord, I'm very grateful for seeing how Mike and Melanie are laboring and working in their personal life, Lord God, in laboring with uh, not only these three, Lord, but also Savannah, Father, to try and raise them in the faith. Father, I pray that you would anoint uh, and bless their efforts. Father, as we saw today, Daniel can burn the midnight oil, but you're the one who gives blessing. You're the one who gives the knowledge. So, Lord, we pray for these three. And, Father, for the rest of us, Lord, as we are thinking upon this, Father, that our identity would be rooted yeah. in you. Father, I pray all the days of their life, Lord, for Samia, MJ, and Selena, that they would find their identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. Whatever the devil would do, to try and seduce or lure them away. Lord, as uh, Martin Luther was supposed to have said, Lord God, they would stand up and say, no, I am a baptized Christian. I remember when the old was buried, the new had come, and I walked with Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for meeting us here. Come Holy Spirit. Father, I also pray that you would impart gifts to each of these children. Lord God, that you would give them your gifts and your callings that you would use them, Lord God, to continue extending your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You ready? Yep. All right. So, Michael, based off your profession of faith, by the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. You can come down here now. Uh -huh. Okay. Are you coming up next to mine? And parents, I want to encourage you as you're watching, your kids may have questions. This is a great time. Seize the day. Talk to your kids about being a follower of Jesus Christ and the importance of water baptism. Come on, you're going to step your feet right down here. There you go. <laughs> Samaya, based off your profession of faith. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You did good, huh? You did good. Selena, based off your profession 
of your faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And I want to encourage you as we, I'm going to speak a word of benediction and blessing. And as I do, I encourage you to take a couple of minutes to come up here, hug the kids. And uh, Mike and Melanie, it's a big day for their family. And we're really glad to have a family here with them as well. So I encourage you to, uh, to do that with them. So now receive the blessing of God. Now may God himself, the God of peace, strengthen you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Friends, you are blessed as the people of God. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.